What's going on, everybody? And welcome to a jam-packed episode 29 of the Mental Dive Podcast, where we talk anything and everything sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. So on this episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by Brian Miles. Brian is a mental performance coordinator with the Cleveland Indians of Major League Baseball. And throughout the course of the podcast, me and Brian get into a lot of different topics. And we go into some pretty pretty cool rabbit holes. But, you know, to be concrete and to give you a rough idea of what you might listen to today and learn about, we talk about Brian's journey in terms of, you know, how he got to the position he is in today. We talk about the importance of being in the present moment as well as why it's important to be outside of your comfort zone. Because to me, right when you get too stuck in your comfort zone, that's when you become too complacent. And we never want to be complacent, do we? So anyways, let's get into the dive. I hope you all enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Reach out, Taylor Staden, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Looking forward to hearing from you all. But without further ado, Brian Miles, everybody. Okay, so Brian, I must ask before we start, best bat flip of all time. Who's got it? Oh, man. Um... I mean, it's a tough question. I know that you're from Toronto, so I'm sure you're thinking about Jose Bautista's bat flip, which, you know, obviously I'm sure you would be. I'll be honest with you, I, I think one of the coolest ones that I've ever seen, uh, I'm obviously going to say Cleveland Indians one, but I saw I saw Lindor uh, hit a home run, and it was like after he broke like one or two of his bats and like like his teammates just like threw him like Abe Almonte's bat, and he just like picked it up kind of looked at it and then next pitch at a home run and it was more of just like him smirking and tossing the bat because like it wasn't his so uh <laughs> again it goes to show you right it's it's not the bat it's it's the person right so mm-hmm. um yeah that was probably one of the cooler things that i've seen out there <laughs> yeah um so how you been lately man uh how you been how you and family been with covid and um you know what you've been doing to try to stay productive uh we're doing well you know i think it's it's about, you know, establishing sort of what the new routine is. Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, that's something that we find ourselves not just telling the athletes, but telling our coworkers who are coaches, even like the guys in the front office is, you know, we're all, we're all working at home now. So as tempting as it is to be in sweatpants all the time and, and, and never change, like still trying to find the routine, right? So set your alarm like have a, have a morning routine, get your coffee and, you know, kind of get after it or do things for yourself or with your family and then, and then set aside time for work. And then most importantly is like setting aside time for not working, you know, cause it can be really tempting. You've got your computer in front of you at all times. Um, so, you know, I've been doing uh, lots of walks with my wife and my daughter who just turned one um, and just trying to spend as much time with them as possible. I can say it's uh it's this is the most time that I've gotten to spend with them in, in like an extended period of time. And, and so I'm, I'm no fool. Like I I'm, I'm going to take that and, and just take as much of it as I can. You know, I got to see my daughter crawl for the first time, which knowing my luck, I probably would have been on the road or something and, and wouldn't have seen it. So it's, um, you know, it's been pretty, pretty incredible to be around for that. Mm-hmm. Right on a bit of a blessing in disguise then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I love what you, you had to say about uh, establishing new routines. That's something that's really helped me personally, uh, you know, waking up at a consistent time of the day. Like when you when you have such, so much flexibility in your schedule, I think it's really easy for us to get like get, get off our typical routines and, you know, be tempted to take that extra 40 minutes in bed or an hour or whatever it may be. So um, definitely I love how you say that because, you know, getting your morning coffee, waking up, getting showered, ready to go is something that's really helped me personally in terms of 
being productive and also just trying to stick to as much of a quote unquote normal life as we can, as we can have it right now. So. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So it is tempting though, right? It's tempting to stay in bed, but you know, sticking to that, sticking to that alarm is pretty helpful. Yeah. No kidding. So one thing that I like to do with the podcast is I always like to take a couple steps back and kind of dive into what is your story with mental performance? Because every time I ask this question to uh, whether it be an athlete or a consultant or anybody really, they all have a very unique and interesting story. So how did you get involved and what drives you? Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, again, you know, it might be similar to a lot of guys' stories. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in the mental performance world that, that come from a sports background. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm really all that different. Um, you know, grew up in a a family of four, uh, all of us kids played soccer. We all beat up on each other, you know, in our backyard and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, it was it was always exciting to to sort of compete at at, at a decently high level. Um, you know, I'm originally from Connecticut, and we, uh, you know, I thought we we played pretty good soccer in, in the state of Connecticut, and so um, you know, played on some premier teams and and you know, engaged in some pretty cool tournaments and and, and had some success. Um, and you know, I, I think like most of us in in school, you know, in high school at least at least here stateside. Um, you know, we, do, we get to, to sort of have the standard classes. And then, um, you know, when you get to be a little bit older, junior and senior, you get to take some AP classes and, and see a little bit of what, what some things outside of regular high school class are like. And, um, you know, I took that, that AP psychology class and, you know, was learning about Pavlov's theory and, and the dogs and like just different, different, like, like just classic psych 101 stuff. And I found just, you know, my brain going a million miles per hour. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then, you know, I'm like, I could, like I could like take this in college, like as my major, like this is awesome, you know? So uh, I, I obviously decided to do that and I played college soccer and, um, you know, played at a division three level, but, but pretty good at Montclair State uh, University in New Jersey. And, um, you know, had some experiences there that I think shaped a lot of sort of understanding the, the mental component of the game. Um, you know, we were really successful for a division three program and it was in my sophomore year where uh, we, we, you know, went to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Obviously, you know, like those tournaments, you got to have a winner in the game. We went to penalty kicks. Um, I missed my penalty kick. And I just, you know, uh, I just, I remember, well, I remember everything about it, right? Like most people do in that, that one moment where they had the chance to be, you know, the hero or whatever. And um, I just, I just remember a lot of the, the sort of, emotional feelings afterwards obviously of, of a failure like that and then I, I sort of think about you know like the cognitive components that went into that right like like why did I miss that and 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 what what sort of environmental factors played played a role in that and uh, you know as as I progressed through the, the rest of my college career you know I, I struggled a little bit with like stepping back up to the to the PK spot and uh, it was just it was exciting that, you know, I could go on and continue my, my sort of graduate career, um, you know, doing um, sports psychology and mental performance work. So I went to Springfield College to the athletic counseling program there, which, you know, for me was, was really incredible having a, a sort of counseling base as an opportunity to, to really understand the person. So it's, it's not just the performance, which obviously, you know, is, is important, but really getting to understand the person and recognizing that, like, the person you're working with 
a lot of the times will take you to where they need to be. You just have to be willing to listen enough and ask the right questions and, and sort of ask for further understanding. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of times in our field, it can be very tempting to be like, let me give you the answer, right? Like, I have all this knowledge. I want to, I want to give it to you. Like, uh, and I think, I think a lot of times the less you talk, the more powerful that experience can be between yourself and the athlete. Um, and so the athletic counseling program really gave, gave us that. And it was, it was really pretty incredible. Um, so I enjoyed that ton. Um, and, and then I, I, uh, like a lot of people stateside, I, you know, I went and worked for the military for a while. Um, so I got to work out in El Paso, Texas at Fort Bliss and at uh, Fort Drum in upstate New York with the 10th Mountain Division, which was incredible. Like I, I have a, a ton of respect for, for our men and women that serve the country and just being able to, you know, even a little bit help them with their resilience or with their mental performance and their abilities to, to thrive in, in sort of a combat environment was, was pretty incredible. I got a crash course in, in really teaching and like really like getting the reps in to, uh, to you know, make sure that, that people are understanding and being able to apply the, the information that we have. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, got an opportunity in baseball and I just, uh, this, this, if, if we were playing right now, this would, uh, this would be my sixth season with the Indians. And, um, you know, it's been absolutely incredible. The, the people that we're surrounded by here and just the, the learning environment that I'm part of is, uh, I'm just, I'm so lucky and, and I, I don't ever forget that. Um, you know, when I get to go and, and spend time with, with the people at our organization. So it's been, it's been a fun journey. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. And, and one of the things and benefits I, I notice from a lot of people I talk to is that having that athletic background and that experience really allows you to become more relatable with the athletes you're working with as well. Um, I know for myself personally, I was never a very high level athlete, so uh, I have to make up for that in other ways. Um, however, uh, you know, I, I do think that being able to relate to the athletes from not only kind of like understanding of, you know, the, the person and the performance, but also from the lived experiences, because, you know, I'm going to take a stab here and guess that, you know, you've used, you know, that story of you missing penalty kicks to be able to kind of maybe talk about state anxiety or, you know, choking or, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on you or anything, but when I say that, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, but you, you know what I mean though, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd be, you'd be really surprised how much our players get a kick out of seeing and hearing about a story of me failing big time. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't get a lot of street cred in the baseball world for playing soccer, but I will say, you know, every, for some reason, our, our pitchers love to go out and juggle a soccer ball or a hacky sack before they, they do their throwing program and stretch. And so, you know, every once in a while, I'll go, I'll go out there and jump in a juggling circle and, and just show them, you know, I still got it a little bit, but, uh, you know, I do think, you know, I, again, it's, it's, so it, it is about that relatability. And I, and I think when push comes to shove, it's, it's always going to be about the relationship. It always will, you know, it, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how much, you know, if you do not establish, have that relationship with the group of people that you're working with, from the coaches down to the players, it's just, it's so hard and so difficult to get that engagement. And so, you know, I, I think that we need to recognize that that takes time, you know, and I think 
you need to you need to work in a place like an organization that understands that it takes time that you can't just come in and, and make an instant fix or an instant immediate impact that um, you know it really does take establishing that trust and that relationship and uh, and that that's that is so important so in terms of then establishing that buy-in and that trust where do you usually start I mean, I think part of it, and I, and I think you alluded to it a little bit, is is being there, right? So is 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 being with them. And I think when you look at it from the minor league level, it's just, you know, even if you can jump on a road trip, right, and jump on the bus with them and be willing to, to you know, ride a bus for 12 or 13 hours in cramped space. It's about, um, you know, when there's a long rain delay and you as a coordinator, like, you could go home if you wanted to, right? Like, Nobody would, nobody would think anything of it, but instead you stay in the clubhouse until 1130 when that first pitch is and you, you know, you grind out the game until two o'clock in the morning and then you, you show up the next morning with the players and the staff when they show up and they're like, man, like, okay, like, you know, he's, he's kind of here to, to hang out for the long haul. Like, this is great. You know, I, I think another part of it for us too is, you know, we had worked for the military prior to this and at least in baseball, uh, you know, I felt like for the first couple of months, I was expressing a lot of the work that I did with the Army. And, and I do think our players respect the fact that soldiers were willing to engage in mental performance work, and they were willing to to sort of put themselves out there. And I think our players had that that sort of thought of like, okay, if if our military is doing this, like there, there, there must be something behind it, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this, this must be helpful. And so, um, you know, I do think that's a huge part. And, and I, I guess I would say too, you know, again, um, I think it's, it's, a, it's not very easy to teach, but it's like knowing when to talk and then knowing when not to talk. I think that's really powerful. I think, um, you know, listen more, talk less. And, uh, and I think that'll, that'll take people like a really long way in building and establishing those relationships. You just gave me the title of the podcast. Thank you very much. Listen more, talk less. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I love that you talked about the idea of, you know, going uh, beyond, you know, the, what you're maybe expected to do uh, within your job because it shows that level of sacrifice that you're willing to give for the team. So how do you maintain balance in your life given the nonstop nature of Major League Baseball, you know, like the 162-game schedule, which is like double what, you know, all other major sports are really? Um, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, I do believe, I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, your support network has to be incredibly strong. And I think that, uh, I think they're probably, you know, they're probably sacrificing more than I am. Um, and so, you know, like obviously my, my wife is like incredibly supportive and is, is like the ultimate sacrificer when it comes to the time and, and sort of effort and the things that she does for our family and my daughter. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's so important. Um, I, I think another thing, and I, I actually mentioned at the very beginning of this, but, um, you know, what, it's interesting. One of the things that Dr. Charlie Marr says, who, who's sort of overseen our mental performance program with the Indians for you know, almost 25 years, he always tells our players this. He says that, you know, baseball is what you do. It's not who you are. And I think that's so true, right? Like about like how we sort of identify with, with what we do. And I think a lot of times that we need to understand that like, this is our job, right? But like, um, it's not who we are. And, and I, I think that being able to, to separate that and, 
and really, um, you know, set aside time for family and for being home. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, my wife would tell you, right? Like my phone does ring at 1130, 12 o'clock at night when I am home for an off day or something like that. And a player wants to talk after a game or so on. Um, but, you know, I also understand that, you know, if there's opportunities for me to sneak away or if there's opportunities, you know, sometimes we play in Hartford, Connecticut, our double A team plays there. You know, our whole family goes on that trip because that's where my family is. And, and we find different ways to make it work. And, um, you know, I, I just I can tell you that I get so excited and fired up when I when I walk into a clubhouse or when you know I get to see the guys from the office or, um, you know, I, I just I think we all sort of experience this like visceral feeling of excitement about being together. Um, and I think when I stop feeling that I probably know it, it's time to do something different. And so, again, it's like, man, the passion for it and the excitement is just so real that, you know, you find a way to make it work and you find that balance. But um, I, I do think that's, that's a very real thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's hard for, for our baseball players. And I think for the support staff like myself, um, you know, we just we need to find ways to, to make it work. But I'll tell you what, it definitely start, it starts with the sporting family. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And I mean, like you said, it's not your typical, I shouldn't say like you said, like you kind of alluded to, it's not your typical nine to five where you clock in, you clock out, and then you're done for the day. You have to be always on call. And I feel like that also kind of speaks to, kind of, I guess, the inherent nature of the field where, you know, a lot of us are, you know, like we try to preach athletes, being intrinsically motivated you know, being there because you want to be in there, you know, n- not really seeing the the nag of, you know, a player maybe wanting to talk to you after a game as a bad thing, seeing it as an opportunity, seeing it as a part of your job and something you love doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said that probably better than I did before. I mean, it is, it is, it is a, uh, I, I said before, it's passion, you know, it's just, it's really an incredible opportunity. And I, I, you know, I really don't take it lightly. And listen, we all have our days. And I think, you know, we, we get worn down and, and, and grinded sometimes where um, sometimes you do need to hit the pause button or hit the brakes a little bit. And, and you do need to take time for yourself. And you, you do need to maybe once in a while, you know, turn your phone off, um, you know, or, oh my gosh, like shut down your computer one time, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's unheard of in baseball, right? To turn off your email. But I think we just, we ask our players to check in with themselves all the time, right? We ask our players to be self-aware. We ask our players to say like, Hey, like, you know, what's going on? Like, where, where is your, where are your thoughts? Like, where are your emotions? Like, how do you physiologically feel? The fact that we can't do that to ourselves, like we need to take care of ourselves just as much. We can't take care of you know, anyone else if we don't take care of ourselves and so I think a lot of it comes down to if we are going to talk about this with players we better be about it too mm-hmm. no no 100% and that also just goes into the idea of practicing what you preach um, something that I've taken upon yep. myself recently is to try to learn a lot more about mindfulness and I was recommended the confidence gap uh, by Russ Harris by a couple of professionals in her field and I learned a lot about acceptance commitment training and therapy and it's tough, man. It's <laughs> mindfulness is not easy. It's, you know, just like anything else, it, it is a skill and we got to practice it. But I feel like if I ever want to be able to truly preach mindfulness to athletes and, you know, high performers that, you know, I, if I have the opportunity to work with, um, I do think that I should know what that is and be able to share those experiences. I couldn't agree more. Um, 
I, I ironically had a very similar conversation with a professional in our field about three weeks ago about specifically mindfulness and meditation. You know, I, I was on a call where I, I, I was listening to a bunch of um, bunch of Navy SEALs and other professionals in the military talking about their meditation practices. And these guys talking about like, yeah, like, you know, I wake up at five every morning and I do an hour of meditation and, you know, and then I go and I do it and they tell me their whole day and I'm like, oh my God, like, like, and these guys are setting aside this time. And, and I sort of was thinking to myself about, you know, all the different times that I had tried. I really did. I, I was like, I, I'm going to get after this mindfulness. I'm going to do it. Right. I'm, and then I would do it for a week and I would fade out and I would do it for a week and I would fade out. And it, it got really frustrating. And so I, I actually followed up with some of the guys that were on the call and just talked about sort of that inertia at the beginning of a, of a goal, right? Like, like, how do you get that? Like, how do you get it going? And we sort of mapped out a plan. And I, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm 17 days straight right now, um, 10 minutes of, of, of meditation in the morning. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I have had the thoughts in the morning, right? Of like, oh, like, come on, Brian, just like sleep in, right? Like, come on, you get 10 yeah. more minutes and then, and then get up and do it. But um, you know, it's, it, I am right there with you. I had that exact same thought of like, how can you tell somebody to like engage in this, but you aren't showing the commitment and the discipline yourself. And so it's been, you know, another sort of quarantine blessing is that I've had like a pretty like consistent routine to be able to engage in this, in this habit that I want to engage in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It's funny you, you mentioned the idea of meditating and doing mindfulness for an hour because I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about the confidence gap. And I was like, yeah, man, like I tried it for like five, 10 minutes and it was really, really difficult. Like, it was tough. And he's just like, man, like, you know, I, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to read the book and then I'm going to do it for an hour. I was like, what? I was like, you know how difficult that is? <laughs> like, like slow down, yeah. slow down, set those process goals, man. Let's, let's uh, take the steps to get there kind of thing. So it was, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, and so yeah. one thing that I, that I noticed with you is that you originally started with the, with the Indians as a, you know, mental performance consultant, and you eventually transitioned into the role of the mental performance coordinator. What was this process like for you and what are kind of maybe the similarities and differences between the roles? Yeah, you know, I, I, I got uh, originally into the organization as, as just a mental performance coach. And I, I focused, uh, you know, we sort of did like a divide and conquer system of the entire organization. Like, obviously, a lot of people are, are aware of, of our major league team. But, you know, then you look at all the teams underneath it are triple A, double A, high A, low A, short season, rookie ball teams in Arizona and our Dominican teams in Dominican. It's a lot of people to cover, you know, you're talking about over 300 players. And so, we had, had a bit of a divide and conquer system of, of sort of breaking up the teams. And so when I originally came in, I was, I was really pretty focused on our double A, high A and low A team. And, um, and I would, I would do a little bit of work with our, our scouting, amateur scouting department. And so when, when I think about that role, it, it, it was pretty micro, right? It was like, okay, my focus is on these teams and these players. And, and that was, um, was sort of a great indoctrination to baseball, right? Like I had never really been a huge baseball guy. And so I got to learn about the culture. Um, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with the players and coaches and, and the different coordinator groups and, and sort of understand this, this world and, and really get to figure out um, sort of the, the left-right limits of, of things that we were doing and the best ways to engage the players. And so, um, you know, doing that is, is, is phenomenal. You, you build these really strong relationships like we talked about. And, um, and you, you get to engage in some pretty cool 
you know, specific work with the player because you're there a decent bit of time, you know, um, you're there at least once a month, sometimes more than that for at least five days, maybe sometimes more. You know, when, when we transitioned to the coordinator role, what was funny is I was actually still responsible for those same three teams as the coordinator. Um, but what I, what I got to see more was a, was a bit of that, that macro environment of, of starting to, to sort of pan out from the main focus on just being on those teams. And you start to look at things a little bit more from a big picture and, and understanding a bit about how we, we do programming as an organization and how we, we really try to help influence and impact not just the individual player, but the entire organization and really thinking about like programming and what we're going to do and, and the best ways to educate our players. And you start to see this, this big performance team that sort of wraps its arms around our organization and how, um, you know, you have, you have friends at other organizations or even players that get, get traded to other organizations and you, you start to, to hear a little bit about how they're doing things and then like how we're doing things. And it's, it's a really fun process to, to feel like you have a small hand in creating the culture and creating the environment of our organization. And, and being the mental performance coordinator, I think I got to see a little bit more of that. And I got to, to engage in some of that conversation and, and start to um, you know, communicate with our team a little bit about, about how we could influence our players and the staff um, overall. And I think that was, that was a lot of fun to be a part of. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that there's so many different um, tiers in the baseball system. Like if you, like, I'm, I'm mainly a hockey guy. So you look at hockey, you have like your NHL, your AHL and your, your ECHL. So it's really just like three or as baseball, like you said, there, there's tons and there's tons of responsibility there in, in terms of their, you know, developing uh, their mental game. Um, and, you know, right now uh, we have so much more time on our hands. Like we've kind of alluded to prior and given this extra time, a lot of us have, um, you know, it's a great time to work on our, our mental game. So what are some practical changes that you think many baseball players can make to their mental skills development? Because it can be a pretty daunting thing to just think of, like, you know, where do you start? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so I actually think tying a little bit into what you were just previously talking about, but I actually think the idea of quarantine, right? Like you take that as a, a, a situation, right, if you will. Um, I think something that we could start to incorporate and really dive into is what you talked about is that idea of acceptance and commitment, you know, that, um, that, uh, so I think sometimes acceptance gets a bad rep, right? Like, I think, I think people think like, oh, well, acceptance just means like you're okay with mediocrity or you're okay with failure. Right? Yeah. Like you're just accepting everything, you know, so Ryan Holiday, in the book, uh, in the book, um, the obstacle is the way. He gives like this phenomenal example about acceptance. So he talks about like being in a fight, right? And he talks about being pinned down onto the ground. And so he's like, you know, if if you're the guy on the bottom and you're pinned down, and the guy, if somebody straddles you and puts all their weight on your shoulders, like it does not matter what you do. If you're on the bottom, you can push with all of your might you are not going to move that person. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he talks about this idea of acceptance, he talks about like, okay, like one, like you do need to accept like you're going to get hit a little bit, right? Like you're going to get beat up. Like it doesn't always feel very good. And it definitely does not feel comfortable. That's for sure. 
But what he talks about is like, if you're in that situation and you're actually in a real fight, right? You need to get out of that position. A lot of times what they teach in combatives in the military and stuff like that is something called shrimping. And what it is, is you take that obstacle or that person on top of you, right? And you grab onto anything, you grab onto a shirt, you grab onto a sleeve, whatever, and you pull them in really close to you, right? So you pull that thing, that obstacle really in close to you. And then what you do is you put your hand on like their leg and you just kind of shrimp a little bit, right? You just push their leg a little bit and you shrimp. And then, you know, maybe you take some hits or whatever and you pull them in close again and you push their other leg out and you shrimp a little bit more. And it's just these small, little incremental movements that will eventually get you out of that situation. That is acceptance in a nutshell. Like it is these small incremental movements and thoughts and understandings of sort of what happened to you that gets you to be like, okay, this is it. Like, this is, this is not my final destination. Like, this is just a position. This is not forever. Right. And I think that's the hardest part. That's, that's the most difficult part for us to get around is that like, we think that this is like a fate that for us, right. Like, this is the fate that I have versus being like, this is a position I am in right now at this moment, but this is not forever. And um, I've just always enjoyed and loved that idea of, of, of acceptance and understanding of like, it, like you don't have to be in that position, but if you, if, you can't, if you can't move yourself out of it, like you will be in that position, right? Like if you can't get over it, then you will be stuck there. And, and it's great because like the next part, which is just what you talked about, is commitment. Like, can you commit to the process that you want to achieve to get yourself out of it, right? Like, can you fully give yourself into that and fully go for it, knowing very well that it might not work out? But like, can you actually commit to what you want? Recognizing that it's just not this quick fix, but like, can you truly go for it? And, um, and man, does that take like, vulnerability and humility and like really putting yourself out there does that take like that you might look a little bit stupid and it might feel so uncomfortable and you get that weird feeling inside of your stomach absolutely but i will tell you every great performer lives in that moment of where your stomach feels really uncomfortable where you're just like oh man i am like i am right there on the edge of my capacity this feels like this feels really uncomfortable like that's where all the good stuff happens Wow. Uh, multiple, multiple things. That, oh, no, 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 no. Like, wow. And that was a bit of like an aha moment for me because as you were explaining that I was, I was trying to, I was imagining it as like, okay. And I was kind of piecing together what you were saying and how I interpreted one of the parts you're saying of when you said, pull them in, that talks about how, if we ever want to get better and get in a better situation, we have to embrace our adversity. That guy pinning you, is the adversity and that just really got me thinking it's like okay like if we really want to be able to you know reach our peak potential and continually grow we have to be willing to you know sometimes there's going to be you know someone quote unquote you know being pinned on pinned on you and really really pushing you and making you want to quit but you have to be able to accept that push through it embrace it like like we talked about and ultimately get stronger as a result. And I just feel like a lot of the time, one of the biggest challenges with trying to get an athlete to commit 
to kind of mental skills training is the fact that they're not willing to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, like it's, so we, I mean, again, it's like, we are, we are a strength and conditioning coach for your mind, right? Like that's what we do. And so, I mean, how many times, right? So if, if I went to the gym today and I did 30 sit-ups, like, am I going to have a six pack? Well, it would be so awesome if I did, right? Like I will not, I will not have a six pack. And so again, if we're a strength and conditioning coach for your mind, like, why do you think getting after it one day mentally, right? Getting your mental reps in one day is automatically that quick fix and be like, okay, like I'm done with my mental performance work forever. And it's sort of like what you're talking about. It's like, it's uncomfortable. It is hard. It's, it's like, like when you go to the gym, you're sore, right? Like you're tired, you sweat. Like the mental performance work that we engage in should take the time. It should take time. Like it takes time to go to the gym. It should take preparation effort like it takes to go to the gym. There should be some exhaustion at times, depending on what it is that you're doing, just like it is when you go to the gym. Like that means that you're working that muscle in between your ears out. Like that's really powerful. And, and the fact of the matter is, is like it's, it, it truly does take that full commitment. Like it, it really does take the time. And like you said, though, like it's, it's just, it's not the quick fix. That's just, that's not what it is. It's never going to be the quick fix. And so, um, you know, it's, it's people need to understand that there is like a space that they can work in. Right. And, and that space is like, is uncomfortable. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of unknown. Um, it's like, it's, I think like Seth Gooden, the entrepreneur one time said, he's like, it's, he said, it's like when you're skiing and it's like, you're just out of control and it's like, it's a little sketchy, but like, you know, you get down and you're kind of done with it. You're like, holy crap. Like that was pretty unbelievable. That's, that's literally learning. Like that is, that's engaging in like mental performance work. It's like, you're just out of control and you're like, whoa, it's a little sketchy. Like it's a little crazy. Like I'm this uncomfortable, but that's like, that's the space where the coolest stuff happens. And the thing is like, people just don't, don't go there a lot. And uh, I just, I feel like, that a lot of people could really reach their potential if they just irked their way into that area a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's maybe the most common mental block or challenge that you face that you've seen with athletes throughout the course of your uh, consulting career is like, they're not willing to put themselves in those uncomfortable positions. You know, I, I mean, again, I think I'm super, we're super lucky. Like our organization, they, they put a lot of, um, emphasis on the mental side of the game and again like we're, we're part of the coaching staff and so our, our players and staff facilitate and are ambassadors of mental performance and so you know I don't I don't always think it's so much of a, of a commitment I can say that at least and again I'm, I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about baseball but I, I think this plays quite a bit um, in, in lots of other sports but as you know in baseball there's a lot of time right like there's a lot of time in between pitches a lot of time for the thing in between your ears to either, you know, be your ally or be your enemy. And, and it, it is a lot of like what you do with that time in between pitches that will dictate really the, the success or, 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 or sort of putting yourself in a, in a position where, you know, you might not be setting yourself up for that success. And so one of the things that, that I think we've noticed probably most is 
when it comes down to like the mental performance work in baseball, a lot of it will revolve around being present. Like it'll, it'll truly revolve around like, can you get and keep your mind in the present moment? Because I think a lot of times players are very past oriented or at times they can be future oriented, right? So like, you know, I'm that pitcher. I just threw my pitch. I thought that pitch was a strike. The umpire called it a ball, right? Like I get the ball back now and I have 30 seconds to basically decide whether I am going to, as I talked about, like accept what happened and commit to my, my process and my pre-pitch routine to get myself back into the present moment and ready and convicted to get after this next pitch. Or I can just be sitting there wearing that umpire out in my mind and be completely past oriented. And then I really am giving away that next pitch because I'm not fully in the present moment. I'm not fully convicted with it. And, you know, it's just, um, it's sort of this, this incredible space that players have to work with. There's, um, there's a mental performance coach for the Canadian women's national soccer team um, named Alex Hodgins. And, um, and he, him and I were talking the other day about, about this idea of presence. And he was saying that a lot of times he'll explain um, like, like presence, like with a magnet and that like there's, there's past future and then present in the middle. And he's like, He's like, what are like, what are the things that pull, what, what pulls you to the past? Like, what are, what are the phrases or the things that you're saying to yourself that pull you to the past? Like, what are the things that you're saying um, to yourself that, that make you pull yourself to the future? You know, and how can we, and how can we bring ourselves back to that present moment? Um, and that, you know, that is a lot of times the follow-up question, right? It's like, okay, well, cool, Brian, like, like you want me to be present. Like, how do we do that? And I think that, um, you know, this is my little soapbox in mental performance is like, how can we make what we do more physical? And so like, what I mean by that is like, like, how can we start to create physical space being engaged with mental performance? So like some of the things that we talk about um, is like this idea of like a three foot world, right? Like three feet by three feet, not that big, right? Like not that spacious, like three feet by three feet. Like what can you control in that space? And so sometimes we'll have players literally mark off three feet by three feet. And like, that's their world. Like that is their three foot world. That is the space that they control and they own. Everything in there is theirs. And it's like having the tangible lines that are drawn for them, just for, for some reason, it just really works for them. Um, you know, we, uh, um, uh, the, the mental performance um, director at the Pirates, Bernie Holiday, um, he talked about at a meeting one time with some other mental performance coaches about Annika Sorenstein's Think Box Play Box, where, uh, where, where Bernie explained it a lot, like, you know, you've got this box where, where you can think, right? Like, like draw it out, like where you, you have your approach, you have sort of um, what you're gonna do and all the things that you wanna, wanna focus on. And then there's like a decision line, right? And when you cross that decision line into the play blocks, which for baseball players, I mean, there's an actual box that they play in as hitters, right? I mean, how perfect is that, right? Like when you step into that box, like it is purely about commitment. Like it's purely about like execution of your plan. Like that's all it is, right? And then like my favorite part is, do you have the discipline? Like, do you have the mental discipline that when you are in the play box, and you find yourself starting to think and really and, and, and sifting back into that thinking mode, do you have the discipline to step out of that box 
back over the decision line and into the think box and like and get yourself sort of back reset and squared away. Like that I think is the hardest part for players is like, do you have the discipline to just sort of like, okay, I need to reset, right? Like I got to do it. And so again, like it, it comes down to these tangible things, like these, these tangible um, physical cues or feelings that bring ourselves back to the moment. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. And one of the biggest kind of things that grabbed my attention throughout that explanation was the idea that we had, there's such an abundance of time in baseball that our ability to be able to uh, give attention and, you know, and be mindful and and committed to the present moment is something that is very difficult and something that's very easy to lose track of. Um, You know, you could have, you could have a time where like, especially for, you know, a position like the outfield, you know what I mean? You're like kind of like by yourself, Mm -hmm. like not a lot going on around you and, you have to be ready because if you, you know, you catching and not catching the ball could be a matter of half a step. And, you know, you don't want to be on the highlight reels, uh, you know, after and people are picking away at your game and seeing, Oh, like he wasn't paying attention. He was looking at, you know, the inside of his gloves. So I think that, you know, being able to stay focused during those, you know, abundances of time. Um, and that even kind of relates back to what we're going through with COVID right now. We have so much extra time. Right. So I, Again, mm-hmm. I, I think that's um, I think that's something that I'd imagine a lot of baseball players would struggle with, and it's definitely I feel like a good place where a lot of them could start as well. Absolutely, man. I mean, again, like I mean, for an outfielder, they can go like seven innings and never have a ball hits them. Like, think about that. That's crazy. Oh, that's like that's two nice. hours, and they're they're not engaged. And so I, you know, I think again for 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 a position player, it's again like how are you using the thirty seconds in between in between pitches, like nobody's expecting you to be like super focused and concentrated for all those 30 seconds, right? Like we don't have, we don't have the mental capacity to be that highly focused for three and a half hours. Like that's not real. So of course, you know, give yourself that 10, 15 seconds to, to stare around or shake it off or be loosened or listen to the music or whatever. But then again, right. Do you have the mental discipline or do you have the cue to bring yourself back to the moment? And as the outfielder, right. It's like, okay, like, what's the count, how many outs are there, what's the situation in the game, am I checking in at the coach to see if I need to, like, maybe shift my position, okay, great, now, like, what's my preset routine of, like, getting prepared and sort of set, and then it's, like, boom, the pitch is coming, and, right, and so it's, like, you're doing that for what, like, I mean, a starting pitcher might pitch, like, 100 pitches, and then talk about, so you're doing that, like, what, maybe 150, 200 times every game, you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot of times to be disciplined, but as you know, in all sports, right, it's like the one time that you don't do that is when something happens, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's sports for us. But, uh, you know, again, it's like how, again, it comes back to like, how can I be disciplined? Like, what are, what's my cue that will bring me back to this moment where I need to be? Mm-hmm. And I guess in, in terms of having a formal cue is maybe like developing a reset routine, something that you found useful or, or heard that's useful for maybe a lot of uh, athletes and particularly baseball players? I mean, I think so, you know, I mean, Ken Revisa, I mean, he did that incredible E60 with Evan Longoria, where he talked about like the left field foul pole, right? And like, he, he was like, you know, I always look at the left field foul pole because there'll always be a left field foul pole there. Like, I've heard lots of baseball players talk about that. And it was because, you know, Ken Revisa talked about it, which is, it's pretty incredible. And so, um, you know, I, I think, again, it, it comes down to, to like, what works for the player, but, but we've, again, tied it back to some physical things, right? So um, I, I think, you know, if you're a pitcher and you, and you don't like what just happened in that, that pitch, 
like wipe the rubber off, right? Like wiping, wipe away that last pitch, wipe the rubber off, wipe it. Like when the dirt's flying away, that's that last pitch flying away. If you're a position player and you're hitting, it's like, you know, loosen up your batting glove and sort of let that tension of that last pitch that came in that you feel like you should have hit, but you missed loosen your glove and let that tension come out. And then when you are ready to commit, tighten that batting glove back up and sort of feel that commitment and that, that tightness in your hands and be ready to go. Um, you know, again, and I think, I think it's, it's that physical aspect that's really helpful for players to understand, feel, feel strongly about. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Well, Brian, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed uh, having you on my podcast. Are there any maybe take-home messages that you'd uh, like to extend or maybe if anybody has any questions they'd like to ask you, if maybe a way they could reach out? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, when I, when I, I find myself sort of talking on these, I, I, I often find, find myself, you know, referring back to like some books that I read or things that, that I've, I've like been interested in learning about. And I, I can tell you, at least for me personally, you know, some of the, 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 sh- the things that I, I, I fall back on a ton is so like some work by Ryan Holiday, you know, like ego is the enemy and, and, and um, the obstacle is the way as sort of two foundations of, of things that, you know, I, I think are really helpful. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times because we talk about failure a lot, we, we oftentimes tie it into the ego. And so, you know, for us, a lot of times it's like, you know, I know Ryan Holiday talks about, he's like, you know, failure always arrives uninvited, but, but through our ego, far too many of us allow it to stick around. And it's like, you know, our, our ego can upend us when failure comes into our lives. And so again, tying it back to like our process, like how do we accept things? Like how do we commit to our next steps for growth and development? I just think for us, like we really, we could take a look at ourselves and really think about that process of how we work through that. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that. And I know it, it probably sounds like we beat it to death, but just that acceptance and commitment part for us has, has been so impactful. And it's, it's pretty cool to hear you, you talk about your journey with that a little bit as well. And so, um, you know, again, I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to, to talk to people and, and to reach out and, you know, I can, I can throw you my, my link to like my, my Twitter or, or even my email too, if, if people are ever interested in reaching out. Mm-hmm. I can, I'll put that in the description of the podcast, uh, just so easy access for everybody. Well, again, like I said, really appreciate having you on. This has been a really fun conversation. I, I feel like we've uh, been able to joke around a, a fair bit while at the same time providing some pretty, pretty cool messages. So uh, thanks, Tom, Brian. Absolutely. Thank you. So that wraps it up for episode 29 of the Mental Dive Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it and I hope you all learned something today. Again, like I mentioned earlier, please do check me out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Taylor Staden, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. Thank you again, everybody, so much for your continued support. I really do appreciate it and I'm looking forward to sharing some more podcasts with you all soon. But until that happens, have a good one and I'll see you on Thursday. Thanks, everybody.